It's witchcraft. It's 4.20 a.m. Hi, and welcome to episode 26 of the Stoned Witches Hour. If you're looking for spooky stories along with some stoned witchy weirdness, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast where usually two best friends on opposite coasts of the USA compete to see who has the scariest stories. I'm Layla, and tonight I'll be telling you about the time Shell and I used a Ouija board in a very haunted house. My old house. And since Shell can't be here today... I'll also be telling the true mysterious missing person case of Daniel Robinson, a 24-year-old black man that went missing on June 23rd, 2021. His car and his clothes have been found, but no one has seen Daniel Robinson since that day. Welcome to episode 26. Unfortunately, Shell can't be with us this evening. She'll be back next week for episode 27 when we're really finally going to do the swap. But this evening, I've got a couple of spooky stories for you. One, an adventure that Shell and I had way back in the day trying to do a little ghost hunting. And one, a true missing person case of a young man named Daniel Robinson. This evening, I'll be smoking on some of the finest homegrown here on the West Coast, along with a little bit of bubble hash from a local grower who came over with the biggest goodie box I have ever seen in my life, full of edibles of all kinds and some amazing Rick Simpson oil and bubble hash. So I am going a little bit crazy with my smorgasbord here and packing myself big green bowls with lots of hash on it. So if I lose my place, that's exactly why. So my first story this evening is the time back when Shell, Shell and I had known each other maybe about a year or so. She was married to her husband at the time and I was dating my current husband. The four of us had decided to take a road trip for the weekend. We were going to head up to Seneca Falls and do a little bit of ghost hunting at my old house. I've spoken about this house before in another episode, the one with Tom, where I talked about the history of this house. Lots of people in my family and in the town have heard rumors of a murder-suicide that supposedly happened back in the 40s in that house. And I don't know if it's true. From my research, I found some things that could point to some truth, but nothing definitive. But the rumors abound and the ghost sightings are numerous. Everyone that goes to that house comes away with some type of experience, and this was no exception. So our weekend trip was going to include going to my old house to do a little ghost hunting and then heading up to the Herkimer Diamond Mines to go hunting for some crystals the next day. So we get to my house and my dad is living there by himself at the time. And we go in and I think we're at the fifth iteration of the staircase in case you did hear the episode with Tom where I talked about how many staircases have been replaced in this house and why. So the staircase in this house has been replaced over six times, which is a little bit unusual, I think. And if you want to know maybe what caused it, check out our episode, The One with Tom, and you'll hear my personal ghost story where I talk about it. Anyway, so we go to this house in Seneca Falls, New York, birthplace of voting rights, and we get there late in the evening. And we didn't tell my dad that we were going to be doing ghost hunting but he decides to regale us with some ghost stories anyways. He tells us about the time that he and a girlfriend were stumbling home high and drunk and got to the empty house and went into the living room to make out, of course. 
the first floor of this house is like one long line of rooms. You come in kind of in the middle in a main room and directly across from you is that staircase that keeps getting replaced. To your right is a living room and a fireplace. And to the left is a kitchen with a bathroom and then another back room. So this couple comes in and goes to the right to the living room and they're building a fire. And I'm sure they're reading poetry. That's probably what they're doing, reading poetry. And as my dad and this chick are reading poetry in the front room, they suddenly hear a radio turn on in the kitchen. My dad goes back to the kitchen and goes to turn off the radio and sees that it's already off, but the music is still playing. So he unplugs it from the wall and thankfully the music then stops. He goes back to the living room and his girlfriend and they resume playing checkers, which I'm absolutely sure is what they were doing. So they're playing checkers in front of the fireplace when the radio comes on again in the kitchen, feeling more than a little upset at, you know, having his game interrupted yet again. My dad goes into the kitchen Radio is still off, still unplugged, and he opens the back to take out the batteries, and there's no batteries. Now the radio starts flipping through the stations one after another. It won't stop, and it won't turn off. So, of course, doing what anyone would do, my dad throws it through the window, grabs his girlfriend, and gets the fuck out of the house. Don't blame him one bit. So after that story, he tells us about the time, a little bit later, different girlfriend, Small group of friends, roughly 12 or so people having a small get together at the house, hanging out in the living room, smoking, doing who knows what drugs, hanging out, listening probably to some great music, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Jackson 5, Aretha Franklin, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Anyway, just hanging out as people do in the late 60s, early 70s. One of my dad's friends was a woman that was known to be, she was known to be sensitive. She'd read people's palms. She'd tell them their future. She'd tell them the color of their aura and describe their past lives. And this was her first time at the haunted house in Seneca Falls. And she was obviously uncomfortable from the first moment she stepped foot in it. As far as my dad knew, he said, no one had told her the history of the house. Like some people who come into that house, she was immediately uncomfortable. She tried to convince some of her girlfriends to leave and no one would. And she got more and more agitated as the night went on. My dad remembers that at one point, she stood straight up from the beanbag chair where she had been lounging. She turned to look at him and he said her eyes were huge. He said they were pure black, like midnight pools of fear. She called his name so loudly and with such fear in her voice that the whole room went silent. And immediately after the room quieted, there was a crash from upstairs, a boom so loud that my dad said it felt like it shook the house and dust or plaster from the ceiling kind of fell down onto this chick's head. And she just kind of stood there with the shocked look on her face. My dad and a couple guys ran up the staircase and into the front room where the crash had happened No one was upstairs. None of the friends had gone upstairs. As far as they knew, no one had come into the house. But when they went into the room, what they found was this gigantic mirror that had been bolted to the wall. The mirror itself was no longer in the frame that was bolted to the wall. It was laying perfectly shattered on the floor in front of the dresser. Not one piece missing. Not one piece still in the frame that was still bolted to the wall behind the dresser. Odder still, in front of that mirror, 
had been uh, Chianti bottles with candles in them, a couple ceramic statues and colored antique bottles that my dad liked to collect inches from that mirror. Not one of those bottles was knocked over, moved or disturbed in any way. There's no way for that whole mirror to have been taken out of its frame, lifted up over everything directly in front of it and smashed perfectly on the floor. To this day, no one has an explanation for how that happened. And the party broke up pretty quickly after that. A sensitive friend refused to ever go back in the house. So after telling us those stories, he explained that most people just saw a few shadow people or a woman walking from room to room that wasn't there when they went to check or an older lady that would check on them while they were sleeping. People will often hear voices calling them in the stairwell as they go up or telling them to leave the house. And he told us the stories of a few people, unfortunate people, that would feel someone pulling on their feet in the middle of the night and occasionally pulled so hard they'd be pulled out of bed and dragged a bit across the floor. After telling us those wonderful stories, he sent us off to bed at around midnight. We, of course, were not going to sleep. We get to my old room, the one at the top of the stairs, the one where the double murder-suicide had begun, supposedly. And we found my grandmother's Ouija board. We set up some candles, we lit incense, we cast a circle and protected the room. And we set up Shell's camcorder, one of those old bulky things that had big old batteries and, and big tapes. We set that up facing directly onto the bed where we were going to summon the spirits of the house with the Ouija board. And nothing happened. We asked question after question and, and it moved a little bit. You know, we got a couple things here and there, but for the most part, nothing, a big fat nothing. We got more and more demanding and we kept telling them to show themselves, tell us who you are, give us an answer, nothing. And as we were getting a little frustrated and more than a little bored, we hear the distinct click of the camcorder shutting off on the other side of the room. We'd only been using the Ouija board for maybe half an hour or so. So we knew the battery couldn't be dead. They were fully charged batteries. We pick up the camcorder and it won't turn on. It looks like it's dead. We replace the battery and it still won't turn on. That battery is dead too. Now, both batteries had been fully charged. We knew that. We were completely prepared to ghost hunt all night long. And here, half an hour into it, neither battery is working. We were frustrated and bored enough at that point. We figured we would get a fresh start in the morning for the second half of our road trip. And we counted this as kind of a bust. Ghost hunting just wasn't going to happen. We'd heard some great stories, but maybe we would be some of the few people to not actually experience anything in this very haunted house. The next morning, we got started bright and early, headed to the Herkimer Diamond Mine. And as we're driving along, Shell pulls out the camcorder and she sees that it turns on just fine now. The battery is almost fully charged and the camcorder turns on with no problem. So we decided to watch the video. It starts out with us kind of laughing and setting everything up and asking questions on the Ouija board. And nothing seems out of place, except maybe the video is a little hazy above where the Ouija board is. We commented on it, but we figured it was odd, but could possibly be explained by the candlelight in the room or, or maybe the incense pooled strangely in that spot. So we figured it was a little bit odd, but could possibly have a logical explanation. Then towards the end of the video, 
As the four of us sitting on the bed start asking more and more demanding questions, we can hear what sounds like someone climbing the stairs, distinctly like someone coming up the stairs that opened directly into the bedroom where we were. Imagine hearing someone very large and very angry stomping up the stairs to tell you to turn that fucking music down or they're going to call the cops. And that's what this sounded like. The footsteps got heavier and louder. It sounded exactly like someone was stomping toward the bedroom. And as those heavy footsteps get closer and closer, Shell and I in the car watching the video look at each other and then peer closer at the video because we're so sure any second we should be able to see the angry person that's making these heavy footsteps in the video. And just as the sound of the footsteps is so loud and so close that you can no longer hear the four of us on the bed in the video talking, the footsteps suddenly stop. And there's a sound, almost like a guttural no. And then a crash, like something slams into the camera. The video on the screen shakes as if the camera's rocked and you hear the camera click and shut off and the screen goes black. We looked at each other and our jaws dropped. We had not seen a thing that night, not felt anything, not seen anything. Okay, maybe we all felt a little a little nervous, a little odd, a little a little strange, but we all knew the history of the house going into it. We had all heard my dad tell spooky stories for an hour or so before we went to bed. So that could easily be explained away. But the footsteps and the no all caught on tape still freaks me out. Now, because my bestie can't be here to tell a story of her own, I'm going to tell the true story, the mysterious missing person case of Daniel Robinson. I've mentioned many times before that I'm a little bit of a true crime junkie. Sometimes when I see these missing persons cases come up, I I get interested and I start kind of following it and then I can't let it go. And this case is one of them. So Daniel Robinson went missing June 23rd of 2021. He was just 24. He was the youngest of four children and he grew up in Columbia, South Carolina and graduated from the College of Charleston. He moved to the Phoenix area after graduating as a field geologist in 2019. That fateful day in June, he went to work at 9 a.m. at his job site in the desert area west of Sun Valley Parkway in Arizona. He met up with a pump technician named Ken Elliott. Ken and Daniel had not worked together before this day. They went together to work on a deep well job site. Ken Elliott told police that that morning, Daniel Robinson kept saying things that didn't make sense. He kept asking strange questions and asking Ken if he was tired and asked Ken if he wanted to take a nap. At one point, he asked Ken if he wanted to go with him to Phoenix to rest. Elliot told him no, he had work to do. Another workman, Roger Pritzman, was also concerned and told police that he knew something was wrong. And he asked Daniel what was bothering him. And Daniel replied, what if there was a girl you liked, but you couldn't have? Daniel Robinson only stayed at work about 15 minutes that day and then abruptly left without telling anyone where he was going. He was seen a little bit later that morning by a law enforcement official who told Daniel's father that he'd seen Daniel cleaning his Jeep and Daniel seemed okay. They had a conversation about target practice. 
The agent said there was no damage to Daniel's Jeep at that time and that he left and Daniel seemed fine. That was the last time anyone ever saw Daniel Robinson. In the weeks leading up to Daniel's disappearance, according to his friends and family, he had started acting a little bit oddly. He was commonly described as being a little off from his normal self. On one day, he texted his sister that he had an emergency, but then when she tried to reach him, he wouldn't answer her calls and he never told her what it was about. She also said that at one time he came over to her apartment and sat there without saying a word for 30 minutes before getting up and leaving. Some of his friends and his dad mentioned that Daniel had talked about falling in love with a woman, but even though he said he loved her, he didn't know much about her. And, and Daniel's father thought that was a little bit odd. His coworker told police that the day he went missing, Robinson had been mentioning something about a girl, specifically a girl that he liked and couldn't have, but mostly he just wasn't making sense that day. The woman they were referring to may have been a woman named Caitlin. Caitlin's a woman that Daniel met on a side job that he had with Instacart delivering groceries. On June 12th, Daniel was the Instacart driver for Caitlin and her friend who had ordered an alcohol delivery to their house in a suburb of Phoenix called Levine. When Daniel got to the house, Caitlin and her friend were both very inebriated, more than a little tipsy, and they thought Daniel was cute. He seemed nice. And she said that because Daniel was born without his right hand, and she said that because of that and because of that he was kind of short, she thought he seemed safe and nice. And so she invited him in. She insists that they exchanged phone numbers and nothing happened. But Daniel had told friends that they had spent the night together. Over the next few days, they exchanged several text messages. It started because Daniel had left something at Caitlin's house and was trying to arrange a time to come pick it up. But even though they couldn't agree on a time, he kept showing up at her house without her permission, and she would see him on her security cameras. She says his text then also got very personal and a little bit strange. On June 20th, he texted her that he loved her. She didn't respond to that text message directly, but she did write him, honestly, you showing up at my house unannounced made me extremely uncomfortable. I won't be home today, but I don't see us hanging out anytime soon. The very next day, Daniel Robinson texted her, I'm outside of your place, and she could see him on the security camera. She was out of town at the time, but it made her extremely uneasy. She texted him, please stop doing that. I'm not even home. This is not okay. Daniel responded by asking her if she hated him. The last time Caitlin texted Daniel was on June 21st, and she said, I don't hate you, but please leave me alone. On June 22nd, the day before he was last seen, Daniel wrote a final message to Caitlin. He said, the world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I can or we can, whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again. 18 hours later, at 9 a.m., Daniel showed up to work at the site deep in the Arizona desert outside the town of Buckeye, and 15 minutes later, he disappeared without a trace. For almost a month, there were no leads. The Buckeye police said the department conducted four ground searches and two aerial searches with helicopters covering many square miles around the area where he was last seen, and they found no sight of him. The police had pretty much given up hope of finding anything until July 21st, a rancher using a drone found the Jeep rolled over in a ravine on its side. The airbags in the Jeep were deployed, 
the windows were busted in and the front end was crashed in as if it had been in some type of front end crash or had collided with something. The driver's side seatbelt was buckled. Daniel's clothes were scattered nearby, inside out, and his wallet was in the back pocket of his jeans. In the Jeep were his cell phone and his backpack with his work laptop still inside. One of his work boots was underneath the tire of the Jeep, but there was no sight of Daniel. To make matters even more mysterious, cattle rancher that used that land said that he had been in that area just days before and had not seen the Jeep at that time. After the Jeep was found, the local police conducted two more ground searches in the area. Maricopa County Search and Rescue also assisted in searching for the missing geologist. Nothing was found. Police determined that there was no signs of foul play and stopped the investigation. Daniel Robinson's family, his father in particular, searched relentlessly and said the police department was not doing enough. They hired an accident reconstructionist and a private investigator. They determined that the accident scene had been staged. The private investigator, Jeff McGrath, stated that after the airbags deployed, the ignition was turned over 46 more times and that there were an additional 11 miles on the car that registered after the car had crashed. The crash box on the computer said that the crash had occurred four hours after he was last seen at work and the car itself was found about three miles from where he was last seen. Jeff McGrath also said that there was red paint on the car that's unaccounted for. Both police and the private investigators used data from the crash box on the car, but they came to very different conclusions. The police say the box shows that the car sped up before the crash, and they determined that Daniel lost control of the car at a high rate of speed and crashed into the side of the ravine, flipping the car, and that he must have left the scene possibly delirious after the crash. However, the investigator says that the data on the box shows the exact opposite, that the car slowed down before the crash. And the police also say that the 11-mile discrepancy is just a glitch on the box and not something to be considered. The police also say that the 46 times that the engine was turned over after the crash was probably from the tow truck. The investigator feels that something happened to Daniel Robinson and that the crash scene was staged. The investigator believes that Daniel was not in the car at the time of the crash. So what happened to Daniel? Why would the crash site be staged? Where would he go with no clothes, no wallet, and no cell phone? Was unrequited love to blame for his odd behavior leading up to his disappearance? Was he suicidal? His friends and family say he most definitely was not, that he may have been acting oddly, but that could be explained by lack of sleep. He was working a side hustle as an Instacart driver. They've reconstructed his movements in the days up to his disappearance and show that he was probably working late nights delivering groceries. So he could have been very tired. Sleeplessness could account for some of his odd behavior. So Daniel Robinson may have been sleep deprived, but he definitely was not suicidal, according to his family and friends. And his father is convinced that he's still out there. Rancher Shelton whose cows graze in the area has a theory and it involves the work boot of Daniels that was found underneath the Jeep's tire. He says that it makes no sense. If you were delirious and ripped off all your clothes and wandered into the desert, you wouldn't stick one of your shoes under the car. 
He says his personal theory is that someone deliberately wrecked that vehicle in the ravine. Jeff McGrath, the family's investigator, has his own personal theory. He believes that Daniel Robinson was upset about Caitlin's rejection and went on an all-night video game binge. When he turned up at work the next day, he was so dead tired that he wasn't making much sense and in a sleepy delirium, decided to drive into the desert, maybe to go someplace where he wouldn't be found, have a little privacy and take a nap. McGrath thinks at that point that somebody, maybe maybe a bad person, found him and he doesn't know why or what they may have done with Daniel. But they think that for some reason the vehicle was taken and crashed a couple times and then finally left in the ravine. He says that the 2017 Jeep Renegade's airbag control module shows that the car was driven 11 miles after the airbags deployed, so after the crash, and the ignition was turned over 46 times. And those two pieces of evidence to him, along with the type of damage to the vehicle that looks like it was hit with a bat or a blunt object of some type above the windshield, to him, those add up to some sort of deliberate crash to somebody deliberately targeting Daniel. Unfortunately, as of today, July 20th, 2022, no one knows where Daniel is and his father is still looking. Anyone with information about where Daniel Robinson could be or what happened to him on June 23rd, 2021, there's a website you can go to, pleasehelpfinddaniel.com, or you can call 803-200-2994 if you have any information that could help his family get some closure, find out where he is or what happened to him, let them know. Maybe somebody saw something. So yeah, that's the Stoned Witches Hour with Layla and unfortunately, no shell. Thanks for listening to episode 26 of the Stoned Witches Hour. I hope you enjoyed Shell and my adventures in ghost hunting, where it was either a glitch in the video camera or one angry ghost. You decide. Send us an email to thestonedwitcheshour at gmail.com and let me know. Was it just the camera malfunctioning or did a really angry ghost stomp up the stairs and forcibly stop the recording? And if you'd like more information about the case of Daniel Robinson, or if you have any information, please visit pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. I'll have several links in the show notes if you'd like to contribute to his father's continued search for Daniel. And I'll definitely update if hopefully in the future we find out where he is and what happened to Daniel Robinson. So, Shell, I miss you. This podcast is supposed to be our excuse to hang out, but tonight I'm glad I got to share a couple of interesting stories with our listeners. And next week for episode 27, Shell will be back for the infamous swap where I will do a haunted hospital and Shell will report on true crime. So stay tuned next week for the Stoned Witches Hour with Shell and Layla. Thanks for listening to the Stoned Witches Hour with Shell and Layla. If you like what you heard, please rate us and consider giving us a review. It really helps the show out and we'll definitely take a toke of the kindest bud in your honor.